We speak. Got it. Let's go to that, under that cloud that no one's ever seen. <laughs> cloud that no one's ever seen. We know um, it's there somewhere. I don't know where it is. And it made me sign a new new terms of service when I logged into Zoom this time, and I was like, "Oh, that's funny." Uber. Yeah, yeah. Carson's not on board with that terms of service. Who yeah. knows what we're signing up for? But open uh, knowledge. It's just all these little deci little decision tree forks that we have to do. We're being like programmed like little bots. And here we are connecting yeah, through. Right from the start room. when you open your device up. <laughs> hey, who are you? <laughs> this device, I... do you agree to this? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you agree to this? No. Okay, sorry, you can't use this thing. Goodbye. Ah, I feel like it's impossible. Your car. There's you can't no way now. Job. You can't make a booking. You can't do anything. Yeah. You've been pretty good at that though, because when I when I embedded like some of Sand Talk into the course that I've been teaching the first the first time, I was like, surely there's an audiobook version of this, right? Mm -mm. And you hadn't made an audiobook version of it. And there was no down, there was no ebook version of it either. And that's yeah. like, do you know how many librarians around Australia have had to photocopy like bits of your book to upload to various courses around Australia because you didn't release a digital edition? At least maybe you have now. <laughs> it seems we're like I don't know I can I can understand like uh, you know new age people and coaches and freaking uh, I don't know various grifters around the place I can imagine them wanting to quote that book but it, it it's I struggle with the idea that there are people like actual scientific method bloody academic scholastic people in the world who are citing that book. <laughs> You know what I mean? There's bits of it that are okay, but I don't know. Maybe they're just trying to be inclusive and going, well, see, science isn't the only way. Um, but I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm bothered about that book because, see, when I did record the Audible thing, I, I had to read my book out loud. Yeah. And it really does help to read your work out loud because <laughs> it's hard not to spot the bullshit. And there was heaps of bullshit in there. I got problems with it. Anyway. Um, yeah, we're not here to talk about me, though. Uh, I mean, we can if you really want to, but I don't know. That's pretty boring. You're doing some space plants <laughs> business. What's that discipline called? Uh, um, Matt well, Damon. I <laughs> um, I've been calling it space ethnobotany, but ethnobotany is a pretty uh, colonial term. Ah. I feel like, uh, I don't know, that's part of the reason I thought it'd be interesting to have a chat with you about it. Well, I I like it just from the point of view that it, it's like, uh, I mean, it could be ethnobiology. Is that less? But botany, botany, you're like specifically talking about gardens, really. Oh, 
well, specifically, also... like, what's the difference between biology and botany? You know, botany, you know, there's samples and there's like, you know, botanical gardens. Like, it's like, yeah, I don't know, it's more a controlled version of nature, which if you think about it, that's what Australia has been for many thousands of years. It's kind of like a garden rather than like this wilderness. I feel like maybe, well, I was, the, so I presented at this astrobiology conference a couple of months ago. Yeah. And I was the only person there that was talking about like plants from earth in space. Everybody else was talking about like where there might be life elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it is more astrobiology in that sense. Mm. I don't know though. I feel like, uh, I feel like I really shouldn't kind of be the one talking about it, but then that's kind of stupid because various people yeah, yeah. that you should just own it. Like when I said to these astrobiologists. Well, I mean, who? Are you, are you waiting for like the little green men to maybe. come out from? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, no, no, no. We should center alien voices in in, in... <laughs> ah, ah, ah. You know, no. It's that's weirdly as imperial as anything else. Anyway, you've got like a like a so Kobe is your name, but then you've got like this, I know it's like Gaulish, Gaulish surname. <laughs> yeah but it's it's so calyx is a botanical thing oh, it's also it's also it's also in your body you've also got a calyx in your brain and in your kidney nice nice but my partner and i we changed it, it was very i was very anti-patriarchal in the sense i was like no nah, we're we're both changing our name if anyone's changing our name but like, nice. he doesn't kind of choose what it was nice and okay. he works with plants so okay. we ended up with calyx so a calyx is like the you know the frilly bit on top of a strawberry and yep. also there's, there's eremophilus in Australia where the, the calyx is more showy than the actual flower. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of cup structure is a calyx. It's related to the word chalice. Yeah. Calyx chalice. Well, it's that's not, that's it's pretty not. that's pretty cool. I mean, it's it, it's there for as soon as you make your first discovery in space, it's there <laughs> just right for the taxonomy, like all ready to go. You can real easy like uh Greco, <laughs> Greco-Romanize that one for the taxon. That's pretty cool, eh? It is. It's it's very uh yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what my kids think of it in yeah. 20 years, right? Yeah, it's that's not it. Very, it's not very grounded here. I was I was listening to people talking about Caractacus the other day. What is that? I have no idea what Caractacus like, is. King Caractacus. Like king Caractacus, like for a start, I don't even know if they had kings. Yeah, it, that's it. It's that's in Latin. Um you know, so he was like a a Celtic like uh leader, war leader, warlord. Who was giving the Romans a lot of trouble, you know, <laughs> so they had to kill him. You know, that's King Caractacus. There you go. I um, had no idea. There's that's songs true. about him, like in the UK and stuff, like I don't know, children's songs, even. But I was just thinking, like in actual his native language, it just it would have been, uh, hey, what's your name? Like that, and they okay, uh, fucking Caractacus. Write it down, you know, um, you know that, and that's what Roman does to everything. Which is, you know, which is pretty cool. I, I like that. That's the language of science. It's it's do kind you, of like this imperializing, globalizing <laughs> thing that nobody really wants to mess with. You know. Um, Have you ever thought about what your last name would be if it were Latin? Because you've got Porter, you've got a door in yeah. there. <laughs> that's it. Like well, how, I wonder how um, people with Latin languages would misinterpret what your name. Yeah, yeah. Is. Maybe it does. Like Porter could be. A, a gateway you're a so gateway knowledge i could discover something i mean if i like revealed the particular mangrove orchid that turns 
like salt water into fresh water, then they might name it um, um, Tysonia yuncaportae or something. <laughs> ah, some shit. Mm. Whereas Yunka, like I think of Yunkalilla down here because I'm I'm based down here on Ghana country. Right. Adelaide. And on near Naranjari country, there's a place called Yunkalilla. Uh, it's one of those places that's kept its name throughout, you know, uh, the last few hundred years. Yep. Thousands. Well, th when there's connection. When I Yunkapura, I want to pronounce it Yunka, yep. like Yunkalilla, the same kind of way. There, there is a, a, a Bamanyungan uh, relation. Okay. Uh, linguistically. Cool. And in the lore as well. But the connective big story for that is uh, our story. It's, it's the, uh, these two owl couples, brown owl, white owl, husband, wife, crisscrossway, and then they, they had a giant dingo that kind of ate people. And the men were eating people. Anyway, that that they traveled up there from um, there in Jetty all the way up to uh, uh, Western Cape York. Up the river and beyond. Yep all the way up there and so you can see that uh in the law and you can also see in the language that uh they, they call them bum and Jungen languages bum and, Jungen. and what's really interesting is the word for owl is the same well pretty much the same like in Ghana, they put a um o on the end like uh Ngoko, and then in uh wick the wick languages is Ngok, you know really similar that way so that's i don't know that's cool to think about it is cool. We've got like, an owl. We've got an owl that we, we live by a reserve here. Yeah. Down in country, like on Jilbrookie kind of lands. But I feel like, yeah, so I have European and Mauritian Creole ancestry, right? That's it. And the Mauritian Creole ancestry kind of brings me in relation interesting ways to like various Southern Island kind of Southern Islands down here. Yeah, but yeah. I'm very, like, I know a bit of Ghana language. And international, like international exchange, like, you know, yeah. from from way back with the um, Palawa women. Yeah, yeah. So there were some Palawa women over to, yeah. who went across to Mauritius and mm -hmm. went back again and spoke mm -hmm. some French. And one of them, like, left a kid over uh, hey. Sweet. So who knows? So there's this kind of, but the thing about being, having ancestry. So, like, I feel like there's a lot of Australians who have Black ancestry that's af actually African ancestry mm -hmm. that doesn't get talked about. So it's kind of a thing that I try and talk about, especially for first-generation African Australians because like yeah, yeah. black African people were here before federation mm. and kind of lost rights like particularly down south like where people had more rights before federation and then lost the vote and stuff along the way oh oh so sometimes mm. I talk to like I've talked to a couple of first generation like Mauritian Creole people in Australia and be like hey mm. there, were people, there were Mauritian people Creole people down here before yep before federation but like and Australia has like embassy. the second largest amount of Mauritian Creole people in the world there has to be there has to be embassy governing these relations, you know, and there always has been until recently. So with the imperial um, relation from the UK, um, as with everything French, else, French and that, like double yeah, exactly. But in the in that in that exchange between northern and southern hemisphere, you know, they kept their um, you know very permeable membrane between church and state, so they basically had a theocracy in everything else but name you know in in in, in france spain um you know uh like italy the uk you name it all all around they were basically theocracies but the governance models they exported to the southern hemisphere were secular profoundly secular you know 
However, at the same time, they also exported their religion yeah. <laughs> to the natives and uh, sort of made made the natives subject, you know, to all these the, to these religions on the missions. But the governance of the colony and of the colonists allowed for a secularism that um, was attractive to people who wanted to, you know, practice their own particular sect <laughs> protocols somewhere without getting their head cut off or burnt to death or whatever they want to do. As is yeah. the famous reasons for the, the so South Australian colony, we end right? up, the whole, like, we end up freedom with this thing. unique, like, spiritual, you know, colony uh, with a lot of different spiritualities and with this kind of secular pastiche thing going on uh, where there are all these creolized identities and all this sort of stuff going on. And see, that's what that's what's that's what's wrong with um, with the doctrine of discovery. And that's what's wrong with Matt Damon. Right. <laughs> so he lands on Mars and he's making his YouTube video like he still can't stop doing that. He's like stuck on the other side of the goddamn solar system. <laughs> anyway, and he's still taking selfies. Anyway, in one of his selfies, he says, you know, um, you know, legally, if there's terra nullius, if there's land that's not owned by anybody and uh, under our law, then under the laws of discovery, then the first person to cultivate plants in this, in that place, owns that place. See, everyone thinks it's 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 by the strategic placement of flags. But see, if the US only was the first to put a plant plant a flag on the moon, probably don't mean anything until they grow some Matt Damon potatoes up there. Well, anyway, I want to hear your point of view on this as an as of like a a, 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 a space ethnobotanist, an exo exo ethnobotanist. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That came up in the comments, exo-ethnobotany. Well, based on that logic, so like luckily international law means that that's not true, not that international law Fantastic. counts so much if you can't actually enforce it. Right? All right. Okay, that's good to hear. But then I think it's interesting to think about, so I'm interested in your thinking in terms of like if we say, okay, we don't actually want to have enforce enforcing, we don't want to have police in space. What could be alternative <laughs> mechanisms? For yeah, enforcing? Yeah. Like what governance can we have that doesn't perpetuate ending up with police forces? Like we got space mm. force already. But like, okay, so let's say, so yeah. let's quickly. Well, that's awesome because more. that means there is a program for space cadets. That's <laughs> what I love the most about the fact that <laughs> they have a space true. force. <laughs> yeah. But like, let's say that, like, before I say what I'm going to say, I'm worried that someone's going okay. to be out of context on this. Like international law says that's not true, right? The idea that yep. if you grow a plant somewhere, it means you own the place. Yeah. But did you know that in 2019 there was a plant grown on the moon? Mm. I, I'm not assuming you do because when I asked a room full of I did not know this. When I asked this room full of astrobiologists, I'm like, you guys know what's been happening on the like far side of the moon, right? Like, you know, oh, uh, and like most people didn't know. And I was hang like, on, they've been grown at like inside inside yeah, yeah, the land inside of craft. Bios, okay. Inside of All biosphere right. on the far side of the moon. Yeah, yeah. But I actually think it's kind of profound from like a human mm. ethnography in terms of what plant it was and what nation it was. Do you mm. want to guess? It wasn't uh, Australia. It wasn't Australia. No, no. It would have been like Russia or something. Mm, no, not, not, not okay. quite the dire for our geopolitics. <laughs> okay. Is it like were they in the, were they part of the former Soviet Union? I'll give you a clue. Like it might be related to what you're wearing right now. Um, all right, I'm wearing a singlet from the Laura Festival. 
Was so it made on. from and where was it made? Um, I don't know. Probably in Bangladesh by a 12-year-old girl. Oh. Like India. And, oh, good. No, well, Bangladesh, I'm not sure about Bangladesh space program. India isn't India isn't that far advanced with its space program, but okay. it, it did. Did you hear about the debris that landed on like on WA the last couple of weeks? Oh, they've just yeah. sent it some stuff okay. up. So India's not quite there. Okay, but Pakistan, I know, is nuclear capable. When I not, no, I'm not worried about nuclear. Like, where's your, where right. do your clothes come from? If they got grown- where does where do iPhones get made? Where's like where's the uh, most- Hong Kong, <laughs> Taiwan, fucking which way? Oh, well, China. Unless they don't have they don't have their own space programs. But yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in 2019, China, the Chinese space, they have Changi, so they have a mission named after their moon goddess. Mm-hmm. And in 2019, China grew cotton on the far side of the moon. Wow. <laughs> so that's wow. what it is, like cotton from Fantastic. China. So it's like, what is what is humanity oh, in wow. this era? What is the See, first plant in space? Cotton from China. There you go. I looked up, I looked up Terra Nullius, which is still on the books in the UK as a law. And there are some places where there's where there's ground between like estates of the nobility that over time has become disputed territory that still could potentially be terrenalius and could be claimed under terrenalius if all, you, all one has to do is put up a fence. Like in if you day. put up if you put up a fence, yeah, um, then you can claim terrenalius. If nobody, if the claim is disputed to that territory or no one has claimed it, if you fence it off, create a boundary, and you say it's yours, then it's yours legally, apparently under British law. So, so terrenalius is a thing. So <laughs> they, maybe they did grow cotton because they watched Matt Damon thought that shit was real, but it actually wasn't. They actually if, tried if to. They didn't Amazon. put a fence around it. <laughs> Then I could just walk straight in and say, like, with a piece of string, put it around the outside. I say, all this belongs to Australia. All this belongs to Wick Nation now. <laughs> the Wick Nation planet, like on the dark side of the moon. All of I it. Feel like, I feel like an asteroid. You could probably get away with. Yeah, I could. See I could like be a, there like Mufasa. I'll be like, everywhere the sun doesn't touch is yours. A Wick Corporation asteroid that yeah, gets yeah. mined to send back to Wick Country. To- oh. Build housing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I wish I could that's, find an asteroid that's made out of bauxite. In different ways than I've thought of before, but like better than a lot of other dystopias potentially. I need to find a bauxite comet. But because comet, like I'm, I feel like well, comets are yeah. Mm. I mean, I feel like planetary bodies. Like yeah. I feel like international law is is mm. pretty set on the idea that we shouldn't just own All them. Right. We, shouldn't, we shouldn't replicate the mistakes of. Okay. You know, in that sense, but. And look, next time they're sending up uh sending up some, I don't know, they're sending up a, a refueling sort of uh thing, or or they're taking up extra equipment for growing of cotton on the dark side of the moon. Um, we should just bump that one a little bit out of the way, but time it just right so it falls <laughs> just as the Gulf Stream is petering out in the next couple of years. We'll just make that thing just plummet into the right spot in the ocean just to kickstart it again, you know. It was, it, it died like the first night. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so they, they actually put up more than one. So there was, it, they tried this whole biosphere. They tried silkworms and stuff as well. Mm, mm. And nothing else, nothing else survived except for this one little cot, like maybe a couple, I don't know how many seeds, but like oh, wow. it germinated and it was like, oh my God, first germination, blah. Okay. And then it died like in the long winter, the long moon night. Okay. So yeah. If I don't know the- if there's if it's like, well, no, actually like, well, I know that like a lot, so a bunch of the Southern Islands down here, right? You had sealers and whalers that spent a bit of time 
on various islands and then mm. and then moved on. So they never they never actually were. Okay. I love this through line, by the way. This <laughs> so is this through line. And then they've moved on. Mm. I don't think that counts, right? So the island off the mainland thing and the whole castaway sort of story yeah. and everything else. I I just I like that yeah, I yeah. like the through line in, in, in this kind of imperial and colonial imagination of, of now space, moon, um, asteroids, okay. etc. So I want to link it to something that we connected well, last time we were on a video call. We talked about you had some like marine vault or something from the ocean. And I was like, oh, it's probably got bacteria in it that's making it behave weirdly. That's but right. so here's let me add this thread to this, right? Okay. So when I was doing this deep dive into like, okay. I was told that a bunch of my ancestors, you know, just had like typical, like I knew that I had Mauritian Creole ancestry, but then the rest was just kind of like generic kind of English. Mm. And the more that I dug into that when I was like, okay, I actually need to do some thinking about this now that I'm having kids and kind of having mm. ancestors and descendants, not just kind of going on the end of the line, which I thought I might be for a while with climate change and stuff. But then I just mm. had to have kids. Um, the more digging I did, the more I was like, none of these people spoke English. They spoke mm. They spoke Gaelic. They were like, well, obviously the Mauritian Creole actually did yeah, yeah. Creole, not English. And also I found out that a bunch of my ancestors came from Guernsey, this tiny little island in the channel. Mm. Um, and I was like, oh, and they're actually doing like Indigenous language revival there, but their Indigenous language on that little island. Oh, wow. It's actually like, Nor it's like the last place that Norman French, like it's not called Norman French because it was kind of from, it separated out around the same times. Yeah, yeah. And like basically Vikings who didn't learn English. Well, all right. well that's no, that's all no, Norman no, is. No, the Vikings are the Scots side of it. No, but these are like get like Genese, like French, but like the Duke of Normandy and that kind of Norman stuff. Okay, why is it called Norman? Why is it called Norman? What is it oh, show yeah, for? You're right, you're right. Northman. No, did you it was just <laughs> Viking <laughs> colonists in France? <laughs> totally okay, right. all right, keep going. Um, and and you've got to, you, you have to, you have to, by the way, I just have okay, to say, from Vikings, you have fine. to be able to tell your kids the parts of yourself that aren't like uh, Anglo. Yeah, yeah, okay. And, and so Saxon. And because they're going to be asking you, mum, why, why is our teeth so good? That's you know, not, all that's my Anglo true, friends man. have got shitty teeth and I'm, I turn up like this and I feel really bad. Now they have that uh, on I don't the dad's side, in. but. Like I've got all the, th I've got like, I've got, I had gestational diabetes. Like I'm like, oh geez. And like my, all of my dad and his siblings all died before 70. Oh. Like I feel like I've got a bunch of the stuff that comes from that, like <laughs> ancestral line from like yep. the Indian Ocean or whatever, all this stuff that was like, oh yeah, okay, well get the diabetes, get the like young, you know, the mortality rates and stuff like that. So well, my, yeah, my, my, my life expectancy is like a rude joke. It's like 69 oh. is what I can expect. <laughs> literally, my dad died at 69. Yeah, yeah. And he was one of those one of those guys who had like multiple. Like I've got a baby sister who's like. Yep. Well, it's not the worst third, way to go. My age. Mm. Um, like from his third, from his like last marriage. But anyway, I don't want to talk about. Anyway, I interrupted I talk about two, two different, like really interesting okay. branches. So, Genesis, right? So these languages, so Jerez, Genesis, like they all had mm. these languages. But mm. did you know that in England for 300 years, they spoke French? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know that until I started researching my own ancestors. That's why, that's why <laughs> modern Anglo, Anglo language, what? modern uh, demotic Anglo-Saxon is also referred to as a post-Norman tongue. Well, yeah, so you know way more about yeah. this than I do. So there's heaps you know, of French in it. That's why yeah, yeah. there's shun on, on things, you know. It's it's yeah, yeah. half of English is just French and the other yeah. half is, is 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 just Vikings. So here I am thinking like, oh, yeah, we're just like all like, nobody is like from around, like mm. there's a few people from up, like up north, but like, yeah, all these other places and other languages and stuff. So yeah. we've been trying to, I've been trying to teach my kids a bit of Genesis as well as Ghana. So they're learning like Ghana, Genesis, English, yeah. French, like 
you know nice trying to go let's like because I've learned some Ghana from being here and like coming into relation Mm. to the extent that now I'm like I need to just back off because there's other people who haven't had the chance to learn their language yeah then going well what would be another language if I were to like do that and go okay well there's indigenous language around this kind of tiny island that I have ancestors from there there's like nobody descended from there many many people so Mm. gotta go Ghana always been really uh really really generous yeah with sharing language and culture yeah yeah for sure like I'm very I'm very grateful to be on Ghana country and to Mm. be raised on Ghana country like I spent my Mm. 20s I spent my 20s I I moved overseas when I was 17 and Mm. like didn't come back like I came back probably every couple of years so I've described Mm. myself I've started like now that I came back to Ghana country to have kids so I'm I'm a bit like a migratory bird or like a turtle or something Mm. I got, I'm colorblind, um, a, a particular kind of colorblind where I can't see yellow. It's hard for me to, I have to like toss a coin for green or yellow when I identify something. That makes anyway. the whole like changes people's like, but this costume is tough for you then. That's it. Oh, it doesn't <laughs> help if you've got depression as well. Depression and colorblindness is like, the world is terrible. Um, you know, which explains a lot of my pessimism in my writing. But there is a flower, a particular shade of yellow on Gunnedere country, also goes and also grows in Ghana country down that way. Um, a particular shade of yellow that I can see. Oh. So if I'm there, if I'm there in that um, that time, just at the end of and go, the cold cold time season and going into that that first warm thing where all the all the reptiles, lizards, snakes are coming up out of the ground, like that season there. There's that. There's a yellow flower that comes there, um, all along the Murray. If you go around through the big uh, that that bend and follow them down, there's there's some yellow flowers there where I can see that shade of yellow, uh, which is really cool. That's so cool. That's yeah. amazing. I wonder if there's some like so we've got a bunch of yellow flowers in our front garden, and some of them have just opened up. I wonder if we've got some in our front garden because mm-hmm. we have like so my partner used to work for the state. And now works for Ghana, setting up right. a native plant nursery. Um, and so we've got a bunch of like, we've got a bunch of endangered and native plants around the place. Mm. And just all the ones that, but then there's all the ones that survive. Like, and yeah, we have a yellow front garden. Yellow is my daughter's favorite color. Right. And there's some flowers that have just come up. So now I wonder, I don't know. I, I don't know about those flowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so cool though. Is there like, have you done done some stuff on that? Uh, no, I haven't. I've, I've I played around. I played around in some some of my I don't know just literary stuff. I played around with the colorblindness thing. But that, I I, th- there was an elder that said that said that I I can't know, I can never know rainbow snake story, oh. serpent story properly because I can't see the whole rainbow. And he said something weird like, uh, "All you see is bones in the sky." Anyway, so I thought, "Oh my god, that's uh, that's too good." <laughs> that's too good in terms of literary yeah. business to leave that alone so I, did read a, I read a short story called bones in the sky and oh, um, i haven't read that i don't know and uh i think i published a poem uh that was around that exploring that sort of theme of the colorblind thing i did a fair bit of stuff and then that intersected and i think i mentioned it in sand talk but i haven't done anything since on that i think i've just exhausted it as a uh, I, I guess because i'm like the teaching like that I'm doing at the moment around kind of like perception 
and how people have different perceptions of the same thing. Mm, mm. I feel like that's such a nice, nice. So what are the entities on the moon? What are the non-human entities on the moon who are the sovereign? Um, you know, what are moon there's people? There's probably a bunch of microns, like, right? And then there's... um. Like, I'm not saying invent an alien. Um, <laughs> and I'm not saying that you have to decide something, find something that's life uh, in terms of terrestrial life. But, you know, um, you know, every system, every complex system, you know, has a kind of sentience. And there is, you know... There is, I, from an indigenous perspective, that you might understand through Ghana ways and growing up with Ghana, you might understand that system to be sentient and to have to have spirit, to have autonomy, yeah. um, and to therefore have kinder rights. Um, yeah, yeah. Not under English law or anything, but just uh, you know, for the earth, or in this case, for the moon. What what other systems there that? Um, so Chris Lawrence, are being ignored? Like Professor Chris Lawrence who leads the Indigenous Space Academy, like that was just launched this year, the Australian Indigenous Space Academy. He's written some stuff about, yeah, the, well, a bunch of people have, right? A bunch of people have written about the, and spoken about the rights of planetary bodies, mm. right? But certainly he's he's the stuff that I'm most, I guess, in relation to in terms of hearing directly from and knowing about in the context of like what's happening in Australia and stuff and how we're trying to kind of advocate for, doing things differently, I guess, mm. than just having all these one ways of thinking about what the stars are called and stuff like that. Yeah. Can you hear? I've, I've got the washing on in the background. It's just gone into a dry cycle. Is that I can't hear it. Noise? No, no, your, your mic <laughs> must be good me, uh, at you, excluding good. background stuff. Apologies if there's any listeners who have really sensitive hearing who can hear it. She's right. She's right. It's We're definitely doing this one. This is a really good one. We'll put it up. I wouldn't even so, edit so, it. So, yeah, there's so, so it's a good yarn. There was uh, there were some tardigrades that's that got smashed onto the moon in 2019. Mm. So that's more than bacteria, right? That's multicellular. They're those little creatures, the water bears that have survived like six mass extinction events on Earth. So if right. anything survived crashing on the moon, it was going to be tardigrades. But they'd still be in their little tun states where they. So not was that done deliberately, or no, no? Was it just someone <laughs> sneezed on something. And I like... feel like like ah, oh, I. It, it, it was an accident, right? It was it was a thing that smashed it. It was like a car crash, but it was a space crash. I said, oh, the, the thing I wanted to talk about, right, is I'm pretty sure my Genesee's ancestors were pretty much like pirates or like privateers because yeah, yeah. they landed in a really remote part of Australia, like not the usual ports and stuff, yeah. and then just kind of stayed. Nice. Um, and Gene like, the, like Guernsey used to be like a mariner, a marine, a shipbuilding place, right, mm -hmm. this little island. Um. And I was talking. To, I was talking to the Guernsey language. The the guy who so there's someone in the someone in the Guernsey language commission has the same name as someone in my family. So we ended, we got talking, and I was like, "Oh, I'd love to write this sci-fi about like modern shipbuilding, but like spaceships, but still this thing of like the English versus the like, but not English versus French, but like these mm. competing powers and like the and kind of stuff in there about what materials were being used back then and how the ships that used to you know, go around yeah, and yeah. then could be like, what what sci-fi would you do now to use some of this like indigenous language? It's really weird to say indigenous language in the context of like Norman though, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for well, these islands, right? There's like only a few hundred people left speaking it. You could you could just, I don't know, recreate Firefly. Like, yeah, that's it. Well, just there's plenty of demand for more Firefly fanfic. Yeah, exactly. But if you go, if you go just from a different, like a non-libertarian viewpoint. Yeah. Um, about about what 
a Firefly universe would look like. Um, but I'm trying yeah. to get like, so I'm I'm like, so people like Chris Lawrence are already thinking lots about this. But then mm. like with Ghana and then with, with saying to you like, oh, what do you reckon about this stuff? I'm trying to say, well, what if, what if somehow, like, let's say the Indigenous governance, we have, let's say that instead of being Australia, we were like the European Union, right? We had like, you know, 31st Nations states. Uh, I, the union thing and then the space agency here were like the european space agency okay these places yeah and then i was like what what were the, all the different first nations like contri- like what do you want to happen in space nothing mm. should we just mm. leave it be and just have these these like planetary you know bodies that are that have their own story and stuff maybe maybe that's it maybe we should just be mm. leaving it be right mm. but then we've already got all these other people doing stuff and then we've got like Starlink, like Elon Musk's mm. Starlink messing with the constellations and stuff. Yeah. So should we be doing stuff about it or should we just be leaving it be? Which is the constant thing, right? It's like with climate change, should we be doing? Okay, so there's a really interesting, so here's another thing. Space bubbles mm. as an alternative to all of these like hard structures for geoengineering mm. is something that I think is interesting. I'm a really against like, like sulfate aerosol injection, those kind of climate change intervention stuff. Yep. But like anything that messes with our atmosphere no, mm. with that and then hard things i'm like oh let's not just put something permanently up there but maybe just some bubbles for a few years well yeah cool the planet for a couple of degrees I, I don't know you you're just like i don't know that's just that's just asking for the second law of thermodynamics to to kick your ass <laughs> do you reckon uh, what the bubbles are not going to knock us off orbit or something there, somehow there needs to be an exchange <laughs> Okay, uh, a first law exchange with with um, the rest of the universe or some other part of the universe. Somehow, someone else's entropy in the universe has to come in there and be that bubble's lunch. And then that bubble has to export its entropy to somewhere that someone else's lunch. Yeah. And it's going to need to sit in, it's going to need to have two open loops coming out. The rest of it needs to be closed feedback loops within the system, but it needs to have at least two bigger open open feedback loops with external systems. Uh, one that's entropy out and one that is negative entropy in. So how, how, how that's the thing. That's, that's the only way space botany is going to work. Is, is to find that. You have to find what the equivalent is uh, for energy uh, matter exchange in space. But you've got to find one that you can eat, one that your system will eat, and another one that will eat your your yes. system's entropy. Otherwise, you're just adding to the space jump. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, eating the, eating the heat is the idea, right? So that part of it is fine. Mm. But then it's like, yeah, what happened? It's like with all the other space junk, what happened? Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So if we did all these bubbles, that sounds really low impact compared to some other things. But mm. then when the bubble bursts, what happens? It, it will burst if you haven't got enough exchanges going out. It can only be a semi-permeable membrane. But it's and like you're being you quite selective about what's coming in and what's that's going out. There's a yeah. profound thing there where I'm like, no, the assumption is that bubbles burst, right? Like they come to an yeah, end. Yeah. That's like they a do. part of their cycle. That's it. And, and they have to and they must. But... You know, uh, you can have a much longer cycle if if it's a semi-permeable membrane, which is in good relation with its environment. Well, maybe and the like- rest of the systems around it. If it's ignoring the other systems around it, like in space, you know, and if it's not finding a way to come into balance with them and belong in that place, then it will be snuffed out. Either that or it will be like mother-in-law's tongue and just spread everywhere. Um, that's the plan. 
mother-in-law's time. You know, the seventies housewife. Just go and like pull up every one of them, put it in a like succulent pot, and sell it at every hippie market around the place. Get them in houses to like scrub And then it just lands out in the bush near Atherton and just kills everything for about a thousand hectares all around. Yeah. It's like either it snuffs out of existence or it does that. You know, things that are in bad relation, uh, you know, when they're a guest in someone else's place, but yeah. they haven't come in with proper protocol. Yeah. Mm. Which is pretty much all of Europe. Yeah. You know, because it's they only had 10,000 years to, you know, try and develop some kind of diverse biota and, and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's really hard because the ice sheet melted back and then it's just all this really good soil there like the moon kind of thing, but all this soil. And like, I don't know. So all your most invasive species came in, taking up about five ecological niches each and spreading like wildfire and sort of battling each other for supremacy. And it attracted, of course, the same kind of humans. And, you know, 10,000 years of that produced a very limited biota and and some very limited cultural frameworks Yeah, um, that were kind of, I know it could only ever be weeds, you know. But yeah, now it's come down southern hemisphere, it come down equatorial and stuff where you know things are a bit more stable, a bit more warm, can thrive, and um, you know, it's our job to grow them up. It's our so job. Sissy, you down about- in the southern half, we've got to grow them up down here. What do you reckon about pests? Yeah, like yeah, because I forget you're you're in Melbourne because I know you're from up north. Yeah. Oh, there's some. Oh, there's another weird thing I might get to about. There's a thing in Melbourne I should tell you because it's a Melbourne thing. But yeah. first, the first like, uh, so at this at this <laughs> at this astrobiology thing, I was talking about how I think Purse Lane is really interesting because it's cosmopolitan to everywhere basically because it's travelled around it travelled around the oceans and stuff. And some mm. it's got some indigenous names like here, so it's been it's been brought into relation. Or maybe it was always here. Like Purse Lane is like, do you know what I'm talking about? Purse Lane. It's like the so it's a weed in Melbourne in pavement. It's like a weed with long stemmy bits. Sometimes they're red, fleshy mm. little leaves, and it's really rich in omega three. So vegans are like into it, right? Um, and then in tropical places, it grows like really big fleshy leaves and not so much mm. stem. Mm. But it's a really old plant. It's called like portulaca, I think well. is what the name is. So it's like a kitchen plant, like in Latin. Yeah, and it, but it's like it's like I know that there's some in the Atlas of Living Australia. There's some indigenous words for it which means right. like, well, I'm assuming, and that's making some assumptions, but I'm assuming that there was like a consent process around putting the Indigenous names into the Atlas of Living Australia for that plant. Well, there's, you know, there was, uh, there's been like a, um, you know, about a century in most places and some places a century and a half of a sort of a, a adaptive pharmacopoeia emerging mm. in, um, in bush medicine. Yeah. I think things like uh, billy goat weed, you know, for bruises and, you know, there is a process of inquiry around these things to test them and find out what they're good for and this kind of thing, which is pretty cool. Yeah, some of the, as like the the same, the same, at the start of the course, we've also got some stuff from Auntie Fran Bodkin. Oh, yeah. Course yeah, yeah. Like Google, Gadigal country. Yeah, um, I walked around with her. In that yeah, yeah. Botanical garden there <laughs> at the time when she called me over there. Yeah. yeah. Um. She's done some amazing stuff. And here on Garden Country, like, so I learn a lot through. So because, yeah, I feel like I shouldn't talk about, I, I mean, I, I'm in a weird space because I'm like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I literally go to Corey, <laughs> the mm. Center and be like, what do you want me to do? 
And it's like, well, kind of like you before being like, go do those things. And I'm like, I shouldn't be the one doing them. And it's like, no, you go the one, you do the, you do yeah. the But like, exo, exo ethnobotany, you know, it's cool. Because <laughs> you, you're looking at that and uh, so looking at the exo and looking at the ethno in particular, and historically looking at what's happened with the, you know, botanical side of things as well. Yeah. All you see to deal with first is governance issues. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's all that comes out, you know, because in the ethno side and the cultural side, it's like, well, you know, it's always there are protocols. You yeah. Know, if we have a, any kind of mature culture here handling these things, uh, then the governance, there are protocols there that emerge from the culture. There's ways of being in that place. There's ways that the relationship with the plant is important, comes in and actually steers the thing. What are the cycles of that plant? You know, like so if the bunya nut only has a fat crop every three years, then your bunya festival will only happen every three years, and that will be the cycle of ceremony. Uh, and that's the communication between that species and all the mobs there and the ones that travel from far away, you know. Um, so what is the plant telling you in this place? And then what's the plant telling you, in, you know, potentially on the dark side of the moon or, or you know, in this sea of tranquility or whatever? Um, there's projects happening at the moment where people are looking at sending Australian plants into space. Oh. I'm like, who's making those decisions? Can we? Could it be mm. a thing where we mm. actually First Nation people are making decisions, mm. or is it just going to be another round of like, what is it? Ninety-five percent of the you know native foods market is not Indigenous-led, so yeah. we're just going to be perpetuating that into space. Yeah, personally, well, is Bopal, Bopal is not not Bopal anymore anyway. What? What? Bopal. Bopal. What's that? Bopal. Uh, they call them macadamia nuts now. Oh. Yeah. And they they kind of been, uh, you know, hybridized and crossbred and selectively bred for, I don't know, a good half a century, century or something over in Hawaii and, yeah. and around the place. Um, yeah. I, I think, think most of them are growing in Hawaii be, now. I don't reckon they'd be the first case for the for space. Eh? I don't reckon they'd, they'd All be. All right. So what do you pick? <laughs> Maybe Old Man's Beard, that lichen? <laughs> well, there, there's a light. So there's a Victorian, like like whatever the it's like a tardigrade equivalent plant from mm. where you are. Oh, what's that called again? That they're looking at putting on. But I'm like, I'm I'm like trying not to. <laughs> like, I don't want to be the one in the middle of this. That's why I'm like, oh, mm. so I'm kind of asking like people who are doing this work with mm. plants, going like, oh, so if you talk to the traditional owners of these plants, like, do they know that you're planning to do this? Mm. Um. So I don't even know the name of that plant because mm. I've been trying to kind of not. not I just, I don't think you you, you can do it like that. Yeah, that's Look, it. Okay. Okay. I'm a settler whisperer, right? So let me just share some <laughs> wisdom with you. This yeah. is, I, I can speak as an expert on this and almost yeah. nothing else. Um, <laughs> well, you have to, you have to do true. it. You Like you have to do it first. If so, look, I talked to uh, like Uncle Mick on the weekend about uh, this plan going into space. And he actually had some very interesting things to say uh, that he'd like to share with you around A, B, C, and D. You know what I mean? That That's how you you would get them in. Yeah. But if it's like, uh, have you fucking talked to the traditional owners? Then it's just like, hey, <laughs> take your woke shit and go somewhere else. Like they'll just ignore you or like they'll fire you or sack you or like exclude you like find subtle ways to exclude you <laughs> and they'll I mean, definitely ignore that and then they'll, <laughs> you know, they'll find some loophole to make it look like they did it in the ethics you know anyway. i know that's that's the thing right that's that's yeah. why i'm very cautious about it 
but you know after this I might be able to be like hey maybe you should go and uh, have a listen to to Tyson's podcast maybe there's something in there that might be useful for your research tell them yeah that. yeah but 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 you go you go and you make you make that I mean if you're gonna okay if you're gonna ask the question then you have to take responsibility for being somebody who yeah. is being an intermediary to make yeah. this embassy happen yeah. okay, I'm trying to make embassy between gubs in space and uh and Ghana people here well, kind of, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I'm talking, yeah. Well, so, something like that. So, you, you're going to make that embassy. So, there's going, be like, there's going to be Ghana people talking for themselves about it in the next few weeks. So, like, that's good. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, people like other people like Chris Lawrence and people like that are thinking oh, about this awesome. as well. That's so, exciting. I feel like I'm, I'm, I am, I'm bringing you into a, am I, am I bringing you into a relation with this stuff? Like, is this the first time you've, you've, no, no, we've, we've had that? some, we've had some space stuff. Yeah. Um, Good. Yeah, we had we had this one, one thing we were looking. Uh, I'm reassured because there's a bunch of stuff happening with the, the Victorian botanical. Oh, did I send you a link to yeah, that? Yeah. The Victorian botanical. Yeah, we, we had some stuff. Yeah, there's that. But then we had some stuff in the VR AR side of thing for astronaut training. Hmm. Um, oh, cool. And what what we wanted to do there, like our focus, what we the way direction we were taking was, um, you know, to be informed by. Um, you know, our inquiry into uh, explorers like Burke and Wells and stuff, Australian explorers. Yeah. So we wanted to do a bit of a review of all their journals, like as mm-hmm. the as the big data set, mm-hmm. as the sample that we were going through. And we wanted to just look at failure to come to, to be where they were, failure to be uh, a proper observer of, of their place, and what the impacts of that were, and what they missed as a result, and how we, how they might learn, you know, from indigenous or just, you know, grown up human <laughs> ways of observing in place, um, and what they what they what they could do instead. So training the astronauts, you know, based on the, you know, historical failures of explorers, you know, who've you know ended up in other realms, you know, as they go along. What's you know, so I don't know. The problem was though that the um, the project kind of reifies the um, what's that freaking effect they call when they look back at the Earth? Oh yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, and I know what you the mean. Something effect, well. anyway. The observer effect. Do you just mean the observer? No, effect? no, not the observer. Like the effect. one where they're like the little blue speck, and it makes you feel. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, look, I, I didn't realize how vulnerable the Earth was yeah, and how yeah. beautiful it was. Ah, I should. You know, now I finally feel connected. Now yeah, that I can like stand back that. and look yeah. at it, now I I feel connected to it. And it's like, well, you miss, and once again, same mistake. You're missing where you are. Can you have a look around where you are now? Yeah, yeah. You're not yeah. Now, yeah. At least observe something. You're gonna miss things. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we were gonna talk like that, but it was kind of like, no, no, no. We were more looking for just some like uh, beautiful native experiences that you could put into yeah. our VR to make the astronauts feel relaxed. When well, they start it. to panic the about of the you know, green space. shitting into a bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. Just appropriating things to make for the green space effects of cycling. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh yeah, we could provide you content. Well, that's it. How do you not make it? I mean, how do you not make yeah. it just content? I can just be like going, ooh, the astronaut, relax, relax your bowels into the bag <laughs> Forty thousand years of nuts and berries <laughs> come with me on a mystical journey which will ultimately become compost if, the, yeah. if these plant things in space are going to 
going to take off. Going to have to be. But I feel like now, like, so if I were to be much more direct. But right now it's a, it's, it's a, like, it, it's an open loop that just ends in one spot. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like this, it, it just means you got to carry your entropy around with you or you got to jettison it and hope that it ends up somewhere nice. Yeah. Um, and that somebody just doesn't take a spacewalk one day and then cop a face for. Maybe, okay, so let me be really direct then instead of like saying, oh, no, everyone else should decide, blah, blah, blah. So maybe you should like, you're from, you're from Queensland, right? Or yep. Queensland is a very problematic term. We don't even talk about the Queen anymore. Yep. It's time to change. Anyway, um, so the I think that like the this Australian plants in space thing that's gonna that's kind of the next one up to actually go up is kind of based up there so maybe like you or someone from around there should say to these lunaria one folks these are the plants that you should do and then they'll just do those plants i reckon or if they mm. don't then they've actually then they've actually said no right because i feel like they're kind of like oh we don't know we're, we're trying to kind of do public engagement but we don't really know what we're doing with that mm. so we're just going to try and ask about like we're just going to not know and then we'll just ask some scientists so it'd be oh, interesting man. if you guys. I don't think I know enough. That's been putting the burden on you guys to just. You know make, what? That's, that's the process. There is, of the problem, right? Because it's not time. It's like, but we're not going to launch it until twenty twenty six. So you say, give us a year to make a decision, and we'll tell mm. you what plant to take up. There's actually a British ethnobotanist who knows heaps more than me about <laughs> well, about about, about the plants plants that I know and about the 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 cultural and linguistic aspects of those plants. Weirdly, that's problematic. He also plays the violin. And she's very, very groovy. She also does capoeira. Oh. And I just, uh, I don't know. You know, some people can do can do that and it just don't feel, it don't feel like they're uh, stealing or something. It's, it's like, I don't know. And not like little, little, little shiny things on their Facebook page or something. It's just, they just live in these things. Yeah. And well, they, they are just uh, a person in relation, making embassy in places around the world and, and treading lightly and, you know, and not adopting all these things as a mask to hide their face. Yeah, she don't hide her face. She does quite well with it. Well, maybe that's um, it. Maybe you guys say, okay, here's a short list of five. Yeah. Well, I got to stick to what I know. Look, I've been I've been focusing on, um, you know, whole heap of stuff around disinformation uh, um and stochastic terrorism and stuff like that and you know so i will i'll be looking to advise the federal government on stochastic terrorism this week which is pretty Woo! exciting and yeah. um not trying to anyway uh because they haven't got anything in their plan around that they have a whole working group but they they, they just don't ma mention the s s word um yeah, yeah <laughs> so but i'm i've been here mapping the whole field like i know how i know how it works I know the whole thing. The whole thing of you know? what? Of stochastic terrorism. Yeah, of of uh, of online radicalization. You know, towards uh, domestic terrorism, uh, in particular. And I, I've been really mapping that whole thing. Um, and yeah, so I, I I feel I feel like my expertise in that is heaps better than my expertise in plants and stuff. Yeah, maybe. You but what the what the plant? What my plant stuff knowledge gives me more is is a method of inquiry. Yeah. Like I said, it gives me a method inquiry that allows me to explore any field. Um, yeah, which is pretty cool because I can always come into relation with a plant that I don't know in a strange place and then and then figure out what it needs to do, what it wants to do, how I need to uh, fulfill my obligations to that after I've, I've made a relationship with it, et cetera. Mm. But anyone could do that. 
Yeah, that's been a big thing. Like for me, the, yeah, there's been a couple of plants down here. Well, yeah, Mark, like, yeah, my partner and I definitely connected through plants and then mm. like through talking with Ghana about plants. Yeah. There's a couple of plants that I feel like we now grow because we know how we know that they're significant and they're kind of significant in bringing us in relation to like working mm. with Ghana and for Ghana and stuff. So, yeah, it's definitely a way. And because I was very much this like not grounded, just going around the world, I feel like I'm very like from talking to like, people from Lutrawita and stuff, this kind yep. of water, women's water business, all these generations mm. of, you know, flow as opposed to feeling kind of land. Well, look, there were some very shitty laws uh, in the south of Australia that turned turn most people into diasporic mm-hmm. uh, people in, in involuntary ways. You know what I mean? Uh, there was some stuff around marriage uh, in South Australia yep. that... Um, you know, demanded that you had to stop being who you were if you wanted to be married. Um, you know, and that, which resulted in a rip roaring trade in, um, you know, fake birth certificates and all that kind of thing. Um, in Victoria, you know, similar stuff happened. That was the um, they had the half caste act, where like all Aboriginal people had to be on the missions and reserves, but only if they were full bloods. If they weren't, then they weren't allowed in. And but they also weren't accepted in town or in any of the settlements so you know you created this uh you know necessarily um you know a permanent refugee kind of migratory um you know culture which for a lot of people is still still happening today um and if you think about it it's the same for a hell of a lot of peoples all around the world who are only displaced maybe 500 years ago maybe 300 years ago, you know, you see this big diaspora yeah. everywhere. So, you know, there is a, there is a Ghana diaspora. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah. why, you know, um, you'll find fellows who play didgeridoo and play it right there because that diaspora has taken them up to golf country, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's like, and they come back after making embassy there, yeah. you know, for like 30 years, then they come back and they're playing that, that song. They're playing Ghana song, but with, uh, you know, northern technology. It's um, you know, diaspora is not necessarily a bad thing all the time. Yeah, it helps if it's voluntary, though. Yeah, well, that's it. You can take your well, time yeah. to do it lawfully. When you track back Mauritian Creole, because you know, there's a the whole thing. If you're if you're Australian with a black ancestor and you try and you know try and find out, and then if you find out that you're Mauritian Creole, like a bunch mm. of people in Australia now these days do, then you find out that, you're, that everybody from Mauritius were either slaves if they were black or mm. like. English or French or Dutch mm. or Portuguese. So it's like, oh, great. Okay. Not great. Like those black ancestors were slaves from somewhere else. Yeah. So it's just like never. And so that's what's been interesting talking with some, like not just um, from Nipaluna, but also like Narangeri, you pronounce it better than I do, and Naranga as well. The, the unknowing and how it's going to be forever unknown now because it's too far ago and it's like mm. in the oceans. But all these people died in the oceans and there's really interesting. I've had some interesting conversations with some people like from the US kind of like black diving community who were going around and doing things with like shipwreck sites of slaves and stuff. And as you say, the difference between shipwrecks where it was like a bunch of a bunch of colonists who were mm. trying to settle lands and then they got shipwrecked along the way. And, you know, the yeah. WA about how, you know, these Dutch got shipwrecked and maybe there mm. were blue-eyed Aboriginal people, you know, hundreds of years ago because of some of those shipwrecked people from the Netherlands or whatever. Yeah. But then there's the people that didn't have a choice. And like for me, it was very typically. So there was like a, a white English guy and like a black 
woman who was like a third of his age. So mm. even though it was like post-slavery era, mm. she was basically, as, you know, got right. Even like women didn't have rights back then. So yeah, she was still effectively, but they were lighthouse keepers. Right. So whenever I see yeah. a lighthouse, I'm like, oh, and like, you know, that connection to the coast and stuff. Mm. So some of that sense of, yeah, I feel like, yeah, there's lots of fire and water story that kind of, I find kind of brings me into, into different places and different stories. Mm. Mm. But then, so I really had to come to kind of come, yeah, come into relation with Ghanaland because I definitely spent my, like, when, when I became a teenager and really got cynical about the Australian settler colonial state and, like, went off to mm. Europe and was like, well, maybe I should find out where I come from. Never actually went to, like, mm. Guernsey, but went up to Scotland and stuff. Um, eventually came back and was like, okay, so I'm going to have kids. Then I really need to come into relation. Mm. And yeah, some some very wonderful Ghana people who, yeah took the time particularly when mm. I was pregnant mm. to be like okay well you're having kids mm. in the Ghana country so yeah well uh see that's awesome you know that that saying blood is thick in the water like the actual saying is um the blood of the covenant is thicker than the waters of the womb you know and so you've been brought in right way in the country there so that your child can be born in properly and that's a covenant going on there and I think about that and I wonder with with your discipline you know, how much should we fetishize um, biology? But uh, how, how much of it is fetishizing biology and how much, of it, how, how much of that is remotely scientific, I mean, from any cultural perspective and how much, um, you know, how much do we need to like follow what's real and what the data is showing us with growing all these things far from where they come from, you know, on other freaking bodies in space or other islands or etc i feel and again this is probably just imposter syndrome we've got to get over that as like now i've got a phd you can't get more than a phd you've got to settle down but like it's relatively recent for me to kind of have this as my <laughs> discipline mm. my, my undergrads like i was a journalist before i was an abc journalist before so when you talk about misinformation it's like that's my, you know, mm. back in the day. Part of the reason I left the ABC and decided I wanted to do science, like I always wanted to do science journalism stuff mm. and then ended up doing science, like more research kind of, but always the communication side of it. And I did like a communication and culture, like in my, in that undergrad degree, the humanities one, I did like a communication culture exchange to Canada, like to yep. country. After that pandemic, you remember how there was, was it SARS? Shut down? Yep. Like Thailand? Yep. So I was, I was all like geared up to move to Canada and then um, that happened. And, and then I had to like not leave. So I spent another six months in Ghana country. And then I got off all these scholarships to go somewhere else in Canada. So I was planning to go to Montreal, you know, kind of mm. some of that like French, French colonial heritage stuff. Mm. But then ended up getting all these scholarships to go to Calgary. Never heard of Calgary before, but was like, mm. sure, if you'll pay me to go there, I'll go there instead. Mm. And then like was had this, I had a development studies lecturer from Ghana, the country. <laughs> well. And like this black professor who was just like interrogating all of this stuff. And I was doing like Northern studies, which is really like hey, strange yeah, yeah. in the Canadian context. It's like, it's, I didn't even realize when I signed up to the course, Yeah, like Northern development in Canada means yeah. like what is the opposite of what we think of as Northern development. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was really interesting because being in Canada and, and having these professors from other places. Look, anytime direction like, is referring to anything other than trajectory. Yeah. It's it's relative and it's cultural. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? If yeah. it's referring to a fixed location, yeah. then it's a cultural thing and it's a power thing and it's yes. a governance thing. Yeah. Oh, I, hope my, I hope my students do get to listen to that bit because I mm. like to talk about that. And I think yeah, it's yeah. really interesting because there's all this stuff happening. Like that's an interesting mm. thing in space, right? Because there's all yep. this, like we, we have GPS here and people have a really mm. firm sense of what GPS means in relation to the Earth's surface. Yeah. When you get out into space, position, navigation, and timing is this whole other thing. Oh, that's it. Well, that's why it's it's the uh, the maps are different. The map is not the territory. The, the maps is a different thing. And so for us, that's what that you know what people call song lines, but it's not really, or kind of song spirals, but not really. Yeah. That's why the the story the story is the narrative path, you know, through a, a constantly shifting landscape. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of you know. Like an, an an adaptive path, yeah, through the landscape, but based in old law. These songs, uh, they're about your trajectory through yeah. that story, through that song, yeah, that narrative that actually holds reality together. That the quantum soup. <laughs> yeah, quantum That's what it is. That's yeah. what it is. But if you ah, oh, you try and lock in. Okay, where is it? Where's that secret zone? Where's that rock? I mean, you're looking. Where is it? It's like okay, man. Well, that's you can just ask the bot that. Latitude and longitude on the decision tree. There you go. That's where it is. You got a location for that. Why don't you go there and just die? So this is related to the disinformation thing, but what I wanted, I feel I think it's really interesting now. So I spent a year as well. So I got really disillusioned, like one of one of the many times I got disillusioned with Australia and was like, screw this, I'm moving overseas. Mm. I went and worked with the Asia Indigenous Peoples Pact based in Thailand. Right. And ended up coming across there, like um, What's his name? James Scott stuff, the art of not being governed, Zomia. Uh, art of not being governed stuff around like not documenting on purpose to like yeah, yeah. aid and stuff. And was working with like Burmese. Oh, it's real. Oh, there's a whole bunch of, yeah, Burmism. I mean, Myanmar's a military dictatorship again, but you know, I was there in this mm, mm. hopeful time of not dictatorship. And I was there when we had an election in Australia and my, my electoral ballot. Like I was postal voting and it arrived late. So I couldn't, I went and voted at the embassy because I was like the Australian embassy because I was like, yeah, well, yeah. I can't use my postal vote. So then I eventually like two weeks later or something got this postal vote. And I was like, what do I do with this now? And and my counterpart, like through the Australian aid program was this Burmese person who'd been involved in like the, the elections mm. that they had when they had the elections. And I was basically like, here's an Australian ballot paper. Like if it's useful, <laughs> like you might as well have it because it's not. Ah not anything now ah, like, it was one of those so old ones like you know the ones that are just like five pages thousand mules they're looking in the wrong place <laughs> and, and and they were like they were like that doesn't seem to really be that and i'm like yeah i mean it's not ideal either like it's not like australia's got democracy or that because yeah, how yeah. people actually make informed decisions we have to put like 60 different little numbers and they've changed i think they've changed it now so you don't have to put numbers on everything mm. you know it was one of those like ridiculous ballots where i'm like yeah uh, here's a here's an example of Australian democracy and it's got like the official logo on it. Like, yeah. it? it's not useful anymore. It's an old paper. Yeah. Anyway, and that's how. That's how the banking families, the big banking families, were uh, interfering with election using time travel. <laughs> See, I feel uh, like you're the expert to, in that stuff. Right? To you're stop the... Trump from from getting in. That's what. That's how it happened. That's how they did it. Man, if you can get that information to the Mike Pillow guy, he's having another uh, big useless data drop soon to try and remain relevant. If you could send him some equations for time travel. Um, 
and and the Jewish space lasers, if you can make that happen, well, uh, like then we'll we'll all be good. Like I don't want to, yeah, yeah. If you want, if you if anyone is interested in this, you go look at the tardigrades crash on the moon. Oh, <laughs> what's, there what's we so go. Like what's so frustrating about the conspiracy theory, theory stuff, right? Is that the world is so weird and complex. There's yeah, yeah. plenty of real stuff, right? That's what's yeah. so frustrating. I'm like, I get that your reality is boring. Like I get that yeah. for people, like one of my cousins, for example, who's into like you know some of that stuff. I'm like, you know what? You could just do other stuff. You could just do other stuff rather than just stare at your screen. Yeah, there's yeah. Like all this weird stuff going on. Like this and actual. Like, with a lot of the space stuff, I'm weird. like, is this is this conspiracy? Is this actually happening? So like the tardigrades on the moon thing, I'm like, is this actually a thing? Oh, it's a real thing. Wow. And like, I watched. <laughs> I didn't know. So give me, I'm, give me more. <laughs> and you, you can do a retraction if it's not turns out to be not real later. No, no, it's like that's how you know. That's how you know. People who've done papers since then about mm. whether or not the tardigrades would have survived the crash, and they probably didn't, right? So there's like right. research building on the events that happened. Mm. But then there's other stuff like <laughs> I'm kind of resisting talking about this because I'm like. So they were there as an experiment. No, but the thing that's supposed to be orbiting the moon actually yeah. crashed into it. Yeah, okay. yeah. So there was meant to, they were meant to do a moon <clears throat> landing. They were meant to do a yeah. moon landing, maybe pick up a sample or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Get off again, but they yeah. crashed on the moon. Yeah, that's <laughs> a hell of a lab, lab leak, that one. <laughs> exactly. <right. laughs> yeah, yeah. An actual lab leak, a real one. Let's have a look. Were they doing gain of function research on the tardigrades? No, just, Please uh, say they were. No, like, Please I'm say pretty, they were. Okay. I'm, I, I, I was getting a camera. Please I'm, tell me they were using Jewish space lasers. The, the most interesting thing about it, right, is that the target, from my understanding, and okay, maybe this is not true, but I've certainly mm -hmm. read the thing that, like, actually the tardigrades were an afterthought, that they were just trying to be all like, yeah, let's just pull this cool stuff in. Let's mm. have some, like, you know, golden discs to communicate with aliens if they ever read it, this and that. And then yeah, at the yeah. last minute, someone decided to spill some tardigrades onto the sticky tape, right? Because tardigrades are tiny. Uh. So like they just basically were like, or maybe it's not sticky tape, resin, right? They're like, let's just yep. put some tardigrades in the resin. Just as bonus, throw a bonus experiment in there. Yeah. And so it was like a literal afterthought that they actually put tardigrades on there. Yeah. Which they just happen to have some tardigrades on them. Yeah, yeah. They're just carrying around. Hey, I think I got this. Which <laughs> is why I think like, I just feel like it does like, it's reminiscent to me of the kind of shipping era where people just going around, like having yeah, shipwrecks yeah. crashing and like, and, and like, so that's whereas, right. you know, cane toads here was just a bad idea. Yeah. But then there's, a, and, and that's some of the stuff that I found really mm. valuable talking to people from Nipaluna and, and Naranjo country and stuff. It's just that all of this stuff where actually the ocean had agency and, mm. you know. Uh, look, if you go back, you go back to like all the way through our back catalog on this, on this podcast and you find, uh, find one called Research Fellas. Okay. And that's me and JD talking. He sings the cane toad song cycle. <laughs> okay. I think I said so, ten toads because you you talked it's about like a, it's like it's a century old. old. Yeah, it's a century yeah, yeah. old, and right. um, and that had to be. It had it was like okay, well these things are here now. Yeah, um, yeah. Everyone else is trying to eradicate them. That's that's impossible. How do we bring them into balance? And you know, how do we give them a home here and make them a totem, a totemic entity uh, that has place and story in in here, um, and so that the crows can teach all the other animals how to flip it over and. And eat the guts out and not get poisoned, you know. Um, and who's which animals are going to be responsible for keeping the dead ones away from the water holes, etc. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if I heard that along the like ages ago, and that's why. I yeah, no, it's a, it's a real thing, which is I I just like that because that's that's how indigenous knowledge goes. It's not about what's ancient and unchanging. 
It's about what's moving. So I really like how, you know, you're there, you have this covenant with Ghana people, with your young one being born in, in properly um, into that place. And you sort of, you didn't choose to be there. You just, it keeps grabbing you. It's like that place keeps grabbing you. Bringing it does, you it does. It really but does. you're from there and engaging with like this, uh, this incipient discipline. Um, you're trying to um, prevent space imperialism and find other ways to be in space without being an empire, which I think is very cool. Anyway. But should we just be not, though? Because there's that whole thing that maybe we should just stop. Like, So a lot of it is driven at the moment. Well, no, that's mm. not true. Some of this, like the space bubble stuff is interesting because it's like trying to address climate change. It's not trying to do it in an imperial way. But there's a lot of space. There's a lot of asteroid mining talk. Mm. Right? It's mm. very much just extractivist continued, as well as like some mm. of the plans for Mars and some such. Although there's some cool stuff happening around the, um, like the JUICE mission is pretty cool. There's cool stuff yep. happening around the ocean worlds, like the moons around Jupiter and Saturn. We could trick people. You could go like... You could say you could sort of buy uh, a constellation, right? As real, as real estate, <laughs> you could buy a constellation, and then them. but they're selling it to you, and they're thinking of it in two dimensional sort of things. But the actual distance between that those stars, you could. So who's going like to start? A, I wonder how a bazillion, bazillion hectare billionaire, a, a bazillion hectare bloody space lord, because you own the entire three dimensional space created by that cluster of stars that's actually like light years apart mm. i wonder how quickly elon musk would shut down someone who was trying to sell that when it was like starlink constellations so someone could grift off yeah elon yeah musk constellations and say yeah, yeah. this constellation of starlink satellites is now no he would so, so somebody could be grifting and it would be amazing and just it would be making billions of dollars he'd buy it and then stuff it up because he actually <laughs> is not a genius who is a self-made billionaire. He's just like, if daddy didn't steal it from someone and give it to him, it, it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, it, anyway. The ego is in space. The ego is in space is like, it's the same, you know, those, you know, those suicide mission submarine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where these people who just have these ears and they're like, I have to go there. Like, yeah. Some of the, I haven't, yeah, I haven't done much AI robotic stuff, but the AI mm. stuff that I do, I'm like, there's places that we don't need to go, right? Like, yeah. we don't need to go. Actually, robots can do all this cool stuff in space and yeah. look around for us. We are not, we are not space beings. Like, I'm not, not really keen on transhumanism stuff. Yeah, exactly. Let's let the robot do it, robots do it for us. But then some yeah, people yeah. are like, oh, I need to go and see there with my own eyes. And I feel like yeah. that's the real thing of like. I think, I think most of, most of your uh, Silicon Valley Marvel, they're more about um, uploading consciousness. Because once you can do that to something that is uh, not a carbon-based life form, then potentially you could go anywhere and own anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> It'd be the boss of it. As Whoever. someone who chooses to get a bunch of your voice, your heaps of your voice and like your opinions and stuff are now like audio files right out there. Yeah. What if someone like in 200 years like takes all of your audio files and like creates like Tyson Yunker Porter, Porter like 2.0, the digital mm. edition? Like, do you feel uh, like? I don't really care. Look, what that that won't actually be anything. That's not even data. And to me, like that, you know, I can only speak from speak from the knowledge, and that's the real data. And that knowledge sits in all of my relations, uh, all my relationships. It sits in that space in between. Yeah. Well, so when I'm when I'm gone, <laughs> you know, the people at the other end of that relational tether, 
um, they will plug mine in with someone else and they'll, they'll, they'll pass that on intergenerationally to those young people who then pass it on elsewhere. So just the stuff that's good. And, you know, over multiple generations, anything decent that I've come up with as a cautionary tale that's useful or something like that, that might eventually become right story and continue on in that way. But it won't really matter what um, what these little tiny bites and stuff <laughs> do and who exchanges them and perceives them to be worth something or to mean something because they don't mean much at all. That's pretty, that's pretty optimistic for someone who, like, usually describes themselves as a pessimist. That's pretty, uh, well, not pessimist. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just a pessimist, like, you know, cynical, a, I'm, if I'm speaking English, and that's an English sort of framing, yeah, yeah. I, I'm cynical and pessimistic, and, you, know, uh, you know, according to everybody else's um, ontologies, you know, sometimes according to my own as well, but I just... Uh, that's just when I need help. That's when, but my siblings always know when, when that's happening to me and they always step in. That's good. Yeah. I got a call from my big sister like yesterday and it was really good. I haven't heard from her for a long time, but I'm going to see her next week. That's good. Uh, I'm going to go stay with her. Um, I'm going to go up for a funeral at another family member uh, murdered um, just a while back. So we've got a funeral coming up here shortly. And, you know, that's yes, that's that's a negative thing and it's pessimistic, you know, worrying about people dying and everything. But at the same time, it's good to know that I'm gonna see Jesse again, which I haven't seen her for since the last funeral, like what was that, four months ago? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My I got also yeah. a murder, that one. Lots of fun. Not not. My, I got much closer with my big sister after my dad died. That was definitely a thing. Like, yeah, yeah. And we talked about like some of that stuff. The, because yeah. The, well, like I said, the relational network doesn't die. Yeah. It actually, just you know, all those connections go to other people, and it expands. You've made me feel more reassured about like putting mm. stuff, on, like releasing stuff digitally because you're like mm. no no it's fine if they end up repurposing it for other things well it just it depends on whether or not you're making a living out of present misrepresenting yourself online so there's this funny there's a, the weird okay this is actually <laughs> this is actually a weird segue to that thing you know how i said oh there's this weird melbourne story mm. so <laughs> so most like so i've got all these island ancestors from my mostly Europe, yeah, yeah. different colonial places. But then I do have some like close to Cook, right? So from mm. around the same village that James Cook was, was from. Holy and crap. one of these stories that I, that was passed down to me from the like English part, you know how there's all like all the, all this, all these Australian settlers mm. have like the one ancestor that they're like, oh yeah, this person was seen as okay in England. So we're going to. Yeah glorify that story and like yeah, yeah. that were the, yeah, yeah. And the people that do this and that so yeah. anyway you know how in melbourne there's like james cook's cottage mm. you know what i'm talking about in that part no, i know the one it's in the botanical gardens yeah yeah and you know how ne james cook actually never lived in that cottage yeah so apparently so he didn't he didn't stop long enough to have any cottage <laughs> he just got cursed and belly sick and died shitting his guts yeah. out on another island <laughs> Mauritius didn't he die some of them died in Mauritius uh, I think he died in Mauritius or was that like mm. and he wasn't a captain was, either he was a lieutenant maybe that but was, anyway maybe that was Boudin anyway so apparently so yeah Jay, the, that cottage was actually owned by like James Cook's parents or something mm. something mm. right they're like landholders 
Yeah. And apparently, oh. like my, my like great 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 grandmother or something was the last person to live in that cottage. Oh shit! You got claim, Melbourne. You got so claim, but not just me. So like, so that, like, and that part of my like that English bit of my family is like, there's so many people in Australia descended from that. Oh. So it's actually Nana's house. Oh. <laughs> so these, so I so I was like, I've never actually been in. I've been like, I lived in Melbourne for a while. I was always like, oh, it's weird. I don't know. I don't feel like one day I'll go in, mm. but it needs to be, and I need to have a reason. Mm. But it's like, because I, I wasn't sure that this story was true and I still don't really mm. know. But now that my dad's died and a whole bunch of other stories turned out to be true that we thought were probably weird. I'm like, maybe it's true. And it's not that weird. Like, it makes way more sense. Mm. All of these people were like, oh, we really, I just want to go back to Nana's house. Well, here it is. And like, so we should we should stop calling it James Cook Cottage and start calling it Nana's house and be like, all of these English settlers, Mm-mm. really, really, they got out here and they were like, oh my God, this is really different to England. All right. I just want to go back to Nana's house and have like some scones and a cup of tea. Oh, perfect. So Look, I, I think like here's, here's how I know that the yarn's done, the recorded yarn anyway, is that it's <laughs> there's always a weird symmetry to these yarns. This one's come full circle back to Terranullius again, because as far as I can see, there are three competing claims and perhaps four competing claims for that, uh, that place around Captain Cook's cottage there. So there's the state... Uh, government that owns the botanical garden there's that federal government that and that england that really owns it with that crown i imagine that comes under some kind of crown kind of law that one claim but there is also the claim coming down from the uh, kulin nations uh of unceded sovereignty yeah damn straight like the there. and then and then there's that other like this is becoming quite a Venn diagram because you've got a claim <laughs> to the building that's on it. You know what I mean? So I reckon, I reckon pieces, uh, right? you and you, you and some uh, uh, like, you know, Wurundjeri, Bunurong, whichever way elders. All right. So you, uh, you guys set up like an embassy, like a, I don't know, put and put a, put a, uh, put a big boundary around it, like a string, you know, we're signing on claiming that land there because it's under dispute. I think under English law, because it's a disputed territory by several parties and it's unclear as to who actually owns it, that you could claim terra nullius because you have built a goddamn house on there that you own. But you can claim it it by terra nullius, but you you can claim it it on behalf of the, of the, of the Kulin nation elders and boom, Boom, land back. Land back, loophole. Let's do that. And okay, then let's, and then let's go to right space and do the same thing there. That's part of the problem is that she never actually owned it. It was owned by the Cook family. They were the wealthy family. But then there were uh, all these people down here who were descended from the person who rented that house. Yeah. And that's like my kids now. They love their Nana's house, but like she doesn't own it. And one day she's probably going to have to move because she's renting. And my kids are going to be devastated because we we're like, yeah, let's go to Nana's house. Let's go visit Nana's house. Mm-hmm. So like all these people that came out here, we're like, oh, let's go visit Nana's house. And and so the, they moved the pieces of the house mm. that she was renting, but the land underneath it was always owned by the Cook family. Yeah, yeah. Underneath it was like Kula Nation land here. But mm. then they were like kids with Lego. Like it's like kids with Lego. They're like, oh, we want to reconstruct this thing so that we can go back to Nana's house and remember that stuff. Well, but anyway, all cock rockets. Like, all cock if it, rockets if it helps are made back, kids if it with helps Lego. back, then that's fine. Someone someone else could do the thing of all the people. All mm. people I'm pretty sure that, like, with the way things are going in Australia at the moment, if people, especially with a bunch of mob from like a bunch of settlers who are based in Victoria, 
yeah. if someone would go back and survey all of the people descended from like that that nana <laughs> and say are you happy that for this bit of land to go back nice i think they'd be on board are you happy you happy for me to call this episode nana's house oh i well, I feel like if you do, I'll have to send it to my big sister and she's going to have opinions. But yeah, okay. I mean, I, right. I'm not going to say no. Well, otherwise... Uh, <laughs> I thought it was going to be something about space, but I mean, maybe there's something profound there about how something like, we're, in all, space. we're all actually in space. Mm. And actually, like, we're all in the same... If if everything's country, it's all Mother, all right. mother Earth. Exo, exobot, exobotany. But Nana's house is kind of is kind of more... I don't know. It's up mm. to you. Maybe it's better to bury under Nana's house so that then... Like people who go looking for the space ethnobotany stuff won't find it straight away. All right. I'll call it Nana's house. <laughs> Look, just because I'm naming it doesn't mean I own it. <laughs>